Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have raised us with Christ and called us to put upon his grace that we may reflect him in the world. May we put him upon us, taking off the clothes of sin and putting on the clothes of his righteousness, that we may glorify you in all things. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be only acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. You know when you take a long trip, one of those trips where you have to wake up at like some awful hour of the morning, like 3 a.m. just to get to the airport on time? And it's not one of those short trips that, you know, you get on the plane and then an hour later you get off and you're where you're going, but it's one of those trips where there's like several flights, and by the time you get to where you're going, you're exhausted, but you also kind of feel gross, right? (laughs) Kind of feel like the whole world has been laid upon you, and maybe, just maybe, you're the stinkiest you've ever been. (laughs) And so you finally get to take those stinky travel clothes off and take a shower and put fresh clothes on. I prefer PJs, but... That's just me because they're comfortable. But you put those fresh clothes on and it feels so good to finally be clean. We all kind of know that feeling, maybe not from traveling, but a long day at work or exercising or something along those lines. That, that act of taking off stinky clothes and taking a shower and being what feels like a new person. This morning, for our epistle lesson, we read from about the middle of St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, which starts, put on then. But why are we putting these things on? In order to understand what Paul is trying to say to us, in order to not make this a list of like things to make you a better person, but understand what Christ is doing in us, we have to rewind back to the beginning of chapter 3. St. Paul writes to the Colossians, If then ye have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And he goes on to briefly describe what it looks like to be raised with Christ, but then he gives us a negative example. If you've been raised with Christ, put to death, therefore, put to death your sinful affections. Sin is a lot like spilling coffee on a messy desk. I'm not talking about this from experience, believe it or not, or at least not in this past week, for those of you who have seen my desks. But we all kind of know that experience. You spill something, and all of a sudden your papers that you had laid out in front of you absorb everything that you spilled, and they're ruined. We absorb sin, and it tatters us. It makes us feel icky and dirty. Another example is sin unchecked is like a teeny spark going off in a dry forest. It doesn't take much for the forest to burn and burn. An unfortunate reality for our area as we are vigilant against such things. We know the cost of just a tiny spark. A tiny spark of sin unchecked soon grows out 
to be out of control. In a similar manner, last night I was thinking about old sins. I don't know why they came to mind, but they did as I was going to bed. And I was thinking about times when I've hurt people. And often we have a hard time imagining exactly what sin is in our culture, where we kind of tell each other, well, just speak your truth, or you do you, or other odd pieces of advice that aren't perhaps the most helpful. Sin, one way that I have described it, is when we hurt other people. In injuring them, we fail to love them. But that injury goes deeper than simply failing to love them. In injuring others, we injure the image of God in them. We injure that which God has created and that which God loves. There are, of course, other layers to sin, like idolatry and other such things which we are commanded not to do in the Ten Commandments. But that is sometimes a helpful way to think about it. But here's the good news which St. Paul is pushing us towards. Christ takes us from that sin, and he makes us holy and beloved. He makes us God's chosen ones who are holy and beloved. He puts on himself onto us. He puts new clothes onto us, wiping away that sin, wiping away that ickiness from the long journey. And in doing so, consecrates you to God and makes you as a child that is cherished. A child, if you will, if you've seen a new mother holding her baby, the love that she has, he makes you that way to God. You are beloved and cherished, not through your works or righteousness, but because Christ has put his clothes upon you. And so then Paul starts to unpack what this looks like And here it would be really easy to make a to-do list. Do you want to be a good Christian? Then you ought to be be kind, humble, meek, and patient, and so on and so forth. If you're not, you're a terrible Christian. But that's not what Paul is trying to say here. Rather, Paul is giving you a new target. Giving you what it looks like to put Christ upon you. What Christ is doing in your heart. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about dressing Lucy in the morning or other points in time. And those of you who have tried to dress a child know that they do, in fact, have four arms. (laughs) Or four, four appendages, rather. But sometimes it feels like they might have eight. Or they're a new creation of gods with who knows how many limbs, but much more than four. And I think that might be a more apt picture for Christ putting on these things to us. Is that we're like that child that flails and flails, and we're like, how do you have 25 arms right now? I just put one in, and somehow there's still two that aren't in your sleeve. Or two, yeah, we've, we've done that too. Yep. We have had two and two legs. She likes to put two legs in, in one leg hole. I don't, I don't understand. But, but we are often resistant to this, to this sanctifying power 
of Christ. We flail and flail and make excuses for not adopting these things. And that's because we still live in this world where sin and righteousness mingle within us. Christ's righteousness pushing it out and replacing it with these virtues that Paul lists. I still think one of the most vivid pictures of repentance is this idea of making a complete turn. At first you're heading that way and you repent and now you're heading that way. And so another way of explaining this is this idea of missing the mark. But if we say it as missing the mark, it kind of feels like we, we have a target where that exit sign is and we kind of hit over the window. But the reality is, is we have a target where that exit sign and we hit there when we follow our sinful affections. And so Paul tells us, these are the affections. These are the affections that are put upon you as Christ works in you. Kindness. Kindness is doing good. Let's not confuse this kindness with niceness. Niceness which just pretends that everything is fine when it's not. But kindness does good and helps in the sorrowful and in the pits of depths. It speaks truth in love. <clears throat> One of the things that I've had to get used to as a priest and pastor, is seeing people that I love in pain. Seeing people that I once knew as vivacious people, weakened and in hospital beds. And at first it's really hard if you've ever watched somebody you love deteriorate. It's really painful to see them in that way. But Paul tells us to have compassionate hearts. In other words, hearts that are willing to share in others' pains, willing to sit by that hospital bed and mourn and love and pray, to sit in those painful times. As Job's friends failed to do, to sit on those ash heaps when somebody cries out, how can this be? And just love them without judging. Humility. Paul defines humility as doing nothing from selfish ambitions. Again, this flies in the face of what we are often told in our culture, where you've got to do what you've got to do in order to get ahead. Not, we are not called to look out for number one. Rather, we are called to look out for the weakest amongst us. Put others first. I watched a TV series recently where about a doctor who was a very bad doctor who did lots of very bad things and unfortunately it's a real story where he did many botched surgeries and one of the motifs that I saw through this whole thing was this doctor kept thinking I know so much more than every other person here. I know more, and they're all stupid. It's all their fault. I know everything. Meekness is the antithesis of this. The quality of not being overly impressed with one's self-importance. As Christians, we are called to meekness, and Christ puts this 
upon us, for he was meek. He humbled himself, though he were yet God. He brought himself to earth and put on our likeness. So too we imitate him. One of my bad habits is when I know I'm getting a package in the mail is I watch and wait, and then I see, oh, it's being delivered today. When will it be here? And I watch very eagerly. And, and if those of you who have watched our mail, at least in our town, I'm sure they are trying very hard, and I don't want to bash our mail carriers, but it's been erratic at best. And last night, I was waiting for a package and waiting and waiting, and waiting. And it came at about 8.45 in the evening. I don't quite know why, but I'm sure there was a good reason. Patience is probably the hardest one of these things. Unfortunately, I don't think I actually became impatient. But patience is remaining tranquil while awaiting an outcome or bearing under provocation. Somebody pokes you and pokes you and pokes you and makes you frustrated you don't turn around and snap at them. Patience is a virtue. Bearing with one another. We are learning as imperfect people to love one another. That means there will come a time when I will probably step on your feet and offend you. That means that there will come a time that somebody else in these pews will upset you. We don't pretend that this wasn't upsetting. We also don't go bash, running out to start World War III with the person. Rather, we bear with one another. We struggle with one another to seek peace with one another, to seek a resolution, recognizing that perhaps also we are imperfect in this. Forgiveness. Once we see the depth and breadth of Christ's forgiveness in our lives, it's hard to hold another's sin over their head. Forgiveness is a challenging subject, and I always find I have to be a little careful here because there is deep and egregious pain that others have caused people. And we don't pretend that that didn't happen. We don't say, oh, it doesn't matter that you did this terrible, soul-crushing thing to me. And in fact, there may still be consequences for that terrible, soul-crushing thing that the person has done in this world. But we seek peace. We seek to let go of that crushing pain in our own hearts. We seek to let Christ administer, minister to that, that we can love those people, and pray for them even in the grief of the tragedy and awfulness that they've done. Praying that they too might repent. Praying that they too might know the depth and breadth that Christ has done for us. But forgiveness also sometimes means having that hard conversation where somebody upsets you or where you have a terse conversation and you realize, I need to go seek forgiveness. I need to say, hey, the other day I was unkind, and I'm sorry. St. Paul highlights one thing above this whole litany of very important things that we put upon ourselves love. 
Love, of course, is not simply a feeling. Love in Christianity is an action. It is mimicking what Christ has done for us. It is humbling ourselves. It is giving up ourselves so that another might live. Christ on the cross for the Christian is love in action. Then St. Paul goes on to say that let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Peace with God was lost in the fall. Peace with each other was lost in the fall. And so there has been a continual call back to peace and a continual desire for humanity to have peace. And Paul says, put upon the peace of Christ, the peace of knowing that Christ has restored our hearts now and trusting that in the final age, in the eternal age when Christ returns and will rule, that, Christ, that peace will reign for real. And be thankful. A habit of thankfulness produces thankfulness and produces these things. But I want to be clear here. We just gave you a list of things that you ought to do. Things that make you a good Christian. But if you go out and just try to do these things without Christ changing your heart, without Christ working in your heart, they'll fall apart. You might be nice to your wife for a day or two, but then something will happen and you'll get really grumpy and you'll say it. And then you'll feel really bad by the way. Not that I ever do that. That's not true. So where do we get these clothes? How do we put these things upon us? It is the word of Christ dwelling richly in you. And St. Paul tells how this happens. It is through Christ's word that he works these things in your heart. It is through Christ's actions and words that he exchanges our stony hearts for hearts of flesh. Hearts that learn slowly at times to do these things. It is through the Christian life together that it happens. It is through teaching and admonishing. Me getting up and giving a sermon isn't just because I like to wax eloquently once a week. I kind of don't, if I'm honest. I I like preaching a little bit. It's kind of fun to think about how I explain these things to you all. But I'm not a big talker for those of you who know me well, unless you get me on very small, minute subjects that I do like to talk about. So I don't get up here and give sermons just because I like to babble on for 20 or so minutes every, every Sunday. Sermons are there for us to engage in. The act of a sermon isn't just me telling you something cool about Jesus. It's an act of worship that forms our hearts. It's an act of hearing God's word explained and unpacked. It's an act of us learning more and more about Jesus. It's my job, if you want to know a little bit, to to unpack this during the week. In a good week, I have time to do that in, in good detail and let it apply to my heart. But then it's your job 
to let that happen on Sunday mornings, to open your ears and ask that Christ form you all the more. Likewise, we engage in the word throughout the week, that it continues to form us. But there's a third part that Paul points out. It's that you pour into one another. So you spend time in studying the word with one another, encouraging one another, encouraging and admonishing each other to grow in Christ. This is why this year we're going to make that emphasis on discipleship, on reading scripture together, on helping each other be formed in Christ. But then he points to something else, and that is singing of songs. At the end of the day, you might think that I have the most to do with your spiritual formation at this church. But I think that's wrong and why sometimes I tell Elizabeth, no, I don't think that song's appropriate. But at the end of the day, there's a pretty good chance that Elizabeth actually has more to do with your spiritual formation than I do. Because songs do something. Songs write to our hearts in a way that me talking, even in my best day, can't do. One of the Wesley's brothers talked about this, and he said, I would far rather write hymns than preach, because ultimately those hymns are the ones that form your heart. And similarly, it seems like sometimes we seem a little bit stodgy because we're like, no, we're sticking with our hymns of old. But it's not just to stick with the hymns of old because we like them although I think a lot of us do, but because in those hymns, there's profound theology that's often so hard to get outside of them. Hymns write to our hearts. Hymns and songs of praise, songs of worship, psalms that we read day in and day out form our hearts into the hearts that Christ is making in us. St. Paul returns a couple more times to thankfulness and then invites us to do all which we do in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. What would our lives look like if all we did was done through Jesus? What would our lives look like if we gave in and every day let Christ clothe us in the morning and tend to our hearts and minds throughout the day? I think they would look like, it would look as though we have compassionate hearts, because we would. It would look as though we are kind, because Christ would make us that way. It would look as though we were humble. Because in following Christ, we are humble. And meekness and patience would be our way. We would bear with one another well. And if, and we would finally and most importantly put on love. And so, my friends, in putting on love, put on Christ, that you may reflect him well in this world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Remember the words of our Lord 